Can a laser ignite Adam Savage's farts? Welcome to We Should Know Better, the podcast where we hitchhike across the uh, across the internet like a bunch of little fact hoppers. I am Catch Up Nap Kyle, and with me as always are my lost hours. I uh I'm I'm Sky. Lost Sleepy, hours. Sleepy Sky. <laughs> Sleepy Sky. And I'm Daylight Saving Tim. Thank you. <laughs> you say catch up nap napkin? Catch up nap? Yes, catch up napkin. That's oh, what I said. Catch I thought ketchup like the condiment, and I'm like, <laughs> like yeah, that's a, what I thought too. A special ketchup napkin? What? Yeah. Yes. And so I was like, I don't know. What do you? Ooh, I, I mean, gotcha. one, one. I do have special ketchup ketchup napkins. I mean, who doesn't? What kind of animal do you take me for? Two. No, I meant ketchup nap, as in I'm very tired because of daylight savings time. Gotcha. <laughs> Incredibly so. I'm still, wow. we are a week, we are a week out and I have still not uh, acclimated to it. auto fills. That's weird. Do, whoa, whoa. Does it? Yeah. And the first thing I find is a toddler Heinz ketchup packet bunting costume. And this whoa. child looks like it's coming for my brains. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> okay. Why would, why would someone do this? <laughs> I don't know. So for the listener... This is twenty five forty nine at Target. Wow, this is a literal ketchup packet, the kind of which you'd see at like I don't know a McDonald's, with a little wavy, uh, wavy cut uh, lines on the edge that you can tear easily, and it just has a small baby's head and arms sticking out of it. Yeah, that's. I mean, it also has a baby inside of it, supposedly. I mean, supposedly, but who knows? Well, all uh, the parents says, who wish their child were ketchup. <laughs> it like says it fits three to nine months. Oh, goodness. Anyway, what we do here on this podcast is not this. Uh, it is, uh, we, what we do is uh, we, I, I pick two pages on Wikipedia, and Tim and Sky will race from one to the other to see who can get there first, only using the links on those pages. Tonight, uh, we are starting uh, from the page for Yawn, which is a great page, and I'm so excited that we're getting to go there. Okay. Um, and we will be going from Yawn to the Opportunity Rover. Oh, okay. Because it's sleeping. <laughs> yeah, it is sleeping. Yeah. Done. He's he's taking a nap, real long one, but you know, a nap. Ah, <sighs> uh, so the uh, yeah, it, it partially there are a couple reasons we're doing this tonight. One, because uh, didn't didn't the Curiosity Rover like wake back up? It did once before. It has not. This is for this most I'm recent like, time. It has not. Um, okay. Currently, yeah, they just recently, and we'll get into this once we get to the page. Gotcha. Um, and uh, but they uh, they just recently decided that the uh, the mission itself is considered though. is considered over. Yeah. You can retire up there. <laughs> okay. Essentially, yeah. Mm-hmm. Like if it wakes back up, it's cool. You did your job. Take a vacation. Take a That's vacation great. on Mars. Very good. Uh, which is which is a very American thing to do to ask you to take a vacation at your workspace, I guess. Yeah. Uh, you can retire, especially after like working years and years and years longer than you're supposed to. <laughs> <laughs> right. This is turning into an actual metaphor for the American experience. Um. Anyway, 
while I was doing some research for tonight's uh, for for tonight's route, uh, I came across a, just an incredible, incredible place that I did not know existed: uh, the Robot Hall of Fame. Oh man, this is a real place that still exists. Um, it is in Pittsburgh, and I've been to Pittsburgh many times. Somehow, I've never seen the Robot Hall of Fame. I have wow. to see it the next time we go. Yeah, that sounds great. Um, and here's the problem with the Robot Hall of Fame. It uh, doesn't seem to get inductees every year. Uh, I mean, I wanted to talk about this year's inductees, but it doesn't look like they've had any new ones since 2012. Maybe that's wow. why you're having trouble finding it. Yeah, that's my guess. Anyway, uh, that doesn't mean we can't talk about the inductees from 2012, and that's how we're going to decide who gets to go first tonight, by answering a couple questions about the robots that were that were inducted into the, most recently into the Robot Hall of Fame. I hope uh, one of them was Johnny Five. Uh, it was not. Oh. Uh, actually, I think Johnny Five was listed in one of the earlier ones. Nope, not yet. Uh, Johnny Five has not been listed as one of the inductees uh, previously. That was just another crime why this thing doesn't maybe exist anymore. Well, here's the thing: there are several um, there are several robots that are in pop culture. Okay. Uh, that are listed in here. In uh, almost every year that they do have an inductee, uh, one of them is not a real per- not a real robot. Uh, it is a fictional robot. Um. But we've got several good real robots to pick from here because uh, we're going to start with our first question. I would like each of you guys ju- basically just to tell me which one, which answers you pick. Um, and uh, I, you guys can choose the same if you like. Uh, you know, I would prefer if you didn't uh, double <laughs> up, but do what you want to do. Okay. Whatever, feel, whatever feels the most right to you. So one of the 2012 inductees was the Boston Dynamics Big Dog. Uh, you guys have seen video of this yeah. thing. It's terrifying. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. It will definitely be the end of humanity on some level eventually, except the project got discontinued in 2015, uh, citing engine noise. At least the current uh, the current build of the big dog is not the one that was used, uh, not part of the original Department of Defense uh, contract. But... Um, that contract, uh, where they were originally trying to make a robot that was, uh, basically a pack mule for, uh, for, uh, uh, use in, in actual battle, uh, battle situations. Um, they've replaced, they replaced it, uh, with another short-lived project that did not get off the ground. Uh, guys, which one was it? Um, it was, was it a Roomba-like robot equipped with a cooler and a saw blade? Was it a solar-powered robot with more legs attached to the chassis called the Big Spider? Ooh. Or was it an electric-powered robot named Spot that could only carry a fraction of the weight but could be petted? Ooh. Mm. Wait a minute. What? Uh, I'm going to go with the spider. Okay. Because <sighs> who says you couldn't <laughs> pet Big Dog? I'm tempted to go Spider too. But I mean, Big Dog could tell you you couldn't. <laughs> I'll go. I'll go Roomba. Oh wow! Uh, neither of you chose the correct answer. What? <laughs> it is a spot, huh? How could you not like pet Big Dog, Kyle? Uh, I look. 
electric power the electric powered robot named Spot that could only carry a fraction of the weight but could be petted uh is the real one. Um uh, no, it did not have an arm on it. That was a late a late uh, addition to the big dog. Uh, I will tell you let me tell you exactly what it says here about this. Uh the robot had an arm attached to it that could pick up and throw objects. Good. That was the entire that was the entire description of why it had an arm attached to it. So, there you go. Cool. Uh so we have zero points to start. Good job both you guys. It doesn't react right. to being petted? No. <laughs> oh. I put that in there because you guys know that I have a long-standing issue with with being able to pet dogs, fictional or not. Okay. Um I thought that would be a tell. <laughs> My goodness. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, I thought I thought that was a tell that it was fake because you, oh, you added to it. <laughs> oh no, I tried too hard. Yeah. All right. Mm-hmm. Uh, well, that's okay. We're gonna go on to the next one. Um, you guys have two more chances here. In in uh, wait, wait, don't tell me fashion. Um, we're gonna go next to now, uh, spelled N A O. It's a 23 inch tall humanoid robot with arms and legs, uh, and it was acknowledged for the uh, Robot Hall of Fame for which achievement? Um, it could sing karaoke duets, uh, modulating its, pit, its pitch to always harmonate, harmonize with singers. Uh, it could be used to it could be used to teach yoga and dance classes remotely, and it was chosen as the standard robot used in the International Robo Cup. The International Robo Cup. It's a twenty-three inch robot. That's what I said. Yeah. Are you gonna have it teach yoga? Because like, I'm not gonna be able to see a twenty-three inch robot. <laughs> it's called now i mean maybe it's at home i don't know um now n-a-o correct and the first one was, was karaoke. that it would karaoke and always karaoke pitch. yeah okay all right so it always harmonizes that's what you got tim uh i'll go with uh i'll go with the yoga what is wrong <laughs> I made this too good. <laughs> it was the RoboCup, you guys. Wait, what is the RoboCup? I have no idea, but I have <laughs> to include it. And why would we pick it if we don't know what it is? Let me read the instruction or the actual uh, the actual entry here. I really In wish the- one of us asked what the RoboCup was. You'd be like, I don't really know, and it's like, well, it's obviously not that one. <laughs> it's not real. <laughs> In the International Robot Soccer Competition, known as RoboCup, an important testing ground for multi-robot systems, now now literally replaced Ibo as the robot used in the Standard Platform League, according to the Robot Hall of Fame. Wow. And I, I like to read that when it says literally, literally replaced. I like to read that as in, like, it snuck up on that robot and dismantled it. Took it out. Yeah. <laughs> That's okay. That's all right. Uh, you guys get uh, one more shot at this. Yeah, someone's got to win. Oh, jeez. I'm so nervous about this now. <laughs> Packbot, a deck with treads and a multi-jointed arm. Uh, it's been around for decades. It was originally built... Um, Let me find out when the actual... Uh, back in the 80s, I believe, is what I read. Oh, no, no. Initially developed in the 1990s. So still, it's pretty old at this point. Um, It has a notable place in American culture. Was it uh, the first robot to shake a president's hand when it shook Obama's in 2010? Uh, Was it the dim-witted helper robot in the first Iron Man movie? 
or was it the choice of first responders to search rubble for survivors in 9-11? Oh, man. Tim, I guess you get to go first. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to say it shook Obama's hand. Yeah. I'm going to go 9-11. Thank you. Oh, my gosh. Sky, you win. <laughs> oh, I definitely thought what? it was Obama. <laughs> that was a 20-year-old robot shaking Obama's hand. No. Well, it yep. had matured enough. To it be had, trusted. Oh, yeah. They, oh, oh, so you're thinking like the press, uh, the press event is that it, it had finally gotten old enough to vote on its own. Is that like right. it? I'm counting on your vote. Uh, it got, yeah. It became old enough to have a political opinion. There you go. <laughs> and its opinion was that all, all humans should die. Uh, no, the, um, it, it, it has been used. I mean, anytime you, in, in a movie, anytime you see this robot, um, anytime you see a robot that is basically a couple of sets of conveyor belts or conveyor belts, uh, tread belts and, and an arm like bomb disposals, uh, you know, like in, uh, spy movies, things like that. It's this yeah. robot. You've seen it. It's that little guy. Yeah. Is that little guy? I can kind of picture that. Um, well, uh, I do have a bonus question for you both. It doesn't matter because you guys are, you ended off, I, I was really expecting you guys to end on an even number, maybe, but like, uh, if either one of you to want to take a shot at it, um, what's, there was a fourth inductee uh, into the, uh, into the 2012 uh, Robot Wally. Hall of Fame. Oh my gosh. Well, good job, Sky. What? Yeah. I was going first. I didn't even hear it. <laughs> I didn't finish it, Tim. What did Sky say? Wally. It's Wally. Oh, okay, yeah. It's, yeah. Wally before I, Johnny you Five even got quiz, in there. What kind of crap is this? <laughs> when you started this quiz, I was like, Wally's going to be an answer to one of these questions. Good job. You are correct. Oh, my gosh. What a what a nightmare that was for me. I'm so sorry. No, either. <laughs> it, was, it, was te- it, it was tense the whole time. Yeah, tense is the word. <laughs> yep, now let's talk about yawning. Oh, <laughs> goodness. Let's chill out with some yawning. It's a reflex consisting of the simultaneous inhalation of air and the stretching of the eardrums. Followed by an exhal- exhalation of breath. Oh, my God. This most often occurs in adults immediately before and after sleep during tedious activities and as a result of its contagious quality. So, yeah, we know what, we know what yawns are. Yeah, basically. During a yawn, the tenor tympani muscle in the middle ear contracts, creating a numbing noise from within the head. Oh, that's why that happens. No, rumbling, rumbling noise. Rumbling, oh yeah. Yeah, like that rumbling noise in the head. Yawning (laughs) is sometimes accompanied in humans and animals by an instinctive act of stretching several parts of the body, including arms, neck, shoulders, and back. Weird. Um, there is a, a moment in here where they cover the in the etymology. This is the only point that I want to break in to talk about. Um, I did not know that there was a word for this. But uh, in the moment when you stretch and yawn at the same time, it is called pandiculation. Damn. That, I like there's this word. There's a word for that. Yeah. Because so, it almost sounds like something like about pandas. Yeah. Well, I mean, they do it a lot. Or they seem to anyway. Yeah, so there's a word for that. Incredible. I learned a thing uh, while I was putting this together. It's a lot of proposed causes. What are the causes that you guys have heard? Uh, that you are suffocating, essentially. That you need that you need oxygen. Oh, yeah. So that like gets rid of the carbon dioxide or whatever. Yeah. Yeah, there's that. 
Uh, um, you just uh, what does boredom have to do with yawning, though? I don't know. <laughs> um, this the one proposal is that it like you have to be ready to go, like because like animals, so like mm. yawning is like. Hey, you've been asleep. It's time to like stretch your muscles, get some extra oxygen, get ready to go. When you're bored, you might not be alert. So it's like, hey, you got to get ready to spring into action. Aww. And like that's why this theory also says that like the contagiousness of yawning might be because of that. Like, it's hey, let's signal to the group. We all need to, <laughs> we all need to get up and stay alert. <laughs> um, yawning is the body's way of controlling brain temperature. Sure. Whoa, okay. What? Whatever. You're open. The your mouth is the window to your brain. I mean, that is literally true for birds. I mean, like that is how they they regulate temperature through their mouths. Yeah. This one says that there's a hypothesis that they're caused by the same chemicals, uh, neurotransmitters in the brain that affect emotions, mood, appetite, and other phenomena. Mm. I don't know. I don't know. That's very weird. Oh, yep. weird. Uh, it's uh, there's a there was a study that said when a subject wearing earplugs yawned, a breeze is heard, caused by the flux of air moving between the subject's ear and the environment. Whoa, that's Dang. that's intense. I don't know that I've ever noticed anything like that before, but also I'm not generally covering my ears when I yawn. I don't know if that would be a bad idea. <laughs> there's a whole thing here about it being related to empathy. Oh, really? Like yawn contagion? Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, there's a study involving baboons. And, yeah. Um, evidence for the occurrence of contagious yawning linked to empathy is rare outside of primates, which makes sense, I guess. Um, mm. uh, there's just pictures of animals yawning, which is real fun. Uh, yep. That was one of the reasons I wanted us to, to be here tonight. That I just wanted the three of us <laughs> to come together as a podcast, you know, the world's a scary, terrible place. And every once in a while, you just got to come together and, and look at pictures of animals yawning. Especially the barred owl here. This is a that good owl, is, <laughs> it's such a good yawn. Ah. <laughs> um, it almost looks like a laugh for that one. But then, like, I like that they put the cat and the lion next to each other because they are the exact same yawn. Mm-hmm. Like, oh yeah, no, that that same cat yawn is the same yawn you would see if you were trying to sneak past a lion, you know, out on uh, out in the wild. I yeah. like that the macaque is covering its mouth. Oh, it is it's very polite. Yeah. Aw, it is. Also, polite. it's stopping the trend transmission of demons or spirits. That's right. Yeah, that according to that the culture section here. Look but how yawn. far out the, the the jaguar's tongue goes when it yawns. I'm sorry, go on. Yeah, it's pretty far. The cats are good. Yeah. The hippo's good too. It's really going into it, going in. It. <laughs> that is a whole head yawn is what that's doing. Yeah. George Washington said if you cough, sneeze, sigh or yawn, do it not loud but privately and speak not in your yawning. But put your handkerchief or hand before your face and turn aside. Who, who can argue when that? Did, George Washington said that. When did George I mean, Washington become an etiquette expert? I don't know. I mean, this is cited, so let's see where. Let's see. Does he have like a book of rules? George Washington did. Rules of in civility. fact, he does. <laughs> <laughs> Traced through the wow. sources and restored. Wow. Well, 
I stand corrected. Wait, hold on. 1890. He, there's no way he was alive. Mm. A loud yawn may lead to penalties for contempt of court. Dang. Nothing serious. That seems not, not, you know, uh, not, uh, reasonable but you know oh oh this is in french uh i just read the <laughs> i just clicked through to the rules of civility and he wrote it in french apparently of course he did um the rest of this let's see um <laughs> uh he continues whenever you cough or sneeze if you can control these efforts of nature these efforts of nature do not let the sound be high or strong do not Heave sighs so piercing as to attract attention. Do not breathe heavily or make noises in your yawning. If you can abstain from yawning, especially while with anyone or in conversation, uh, it, it is a plain sight of a certain dislike of those with whom you dwell. Wow. Oh, goodness. That's very intense, George. I've got where I'm going. Okay, where are you going? Where it's talking about if Yanni's contagious. It says the Discovery Channel's myth show Mythbusters also tested this concept. Oh, no. In their small-scale informal mm. study, they concluded that yawning is contagious, although elsewhere the statistical significance of this finding has been disputed. How I'm going to click miss- on Mythbusters, which I think we've been to before. Oh, sure. But they I do mean, robot miss- shit, miss- so... Yeah, of course they do. Yeah. That's a really good poll, Sky. Tim? Uh... Wait a minute. What did you choose again? Mythbusters. <laughs> okay. I just want to make sure. If it was the Discovery Channel or Mythbusters. Um, I'm going to go to chimpanzees. Ooh. Oh, okay. All right. Uh, we, have we been here? Oh, so I, I believe we have at least one. Mythbusters before. is an Australian-American science entertainment television program? What? Hold the what? phone. That's it's not true. Created by Peter Reese and produced by Australia's Beyond Television Productions. That that's not what possible. you're you're lying. What? <laughs> <laughs> uh, this is MythBusters. Uh, yeah, this is a real thing. Wow. So you know you got Adam and Jamie, and they're gonna test the validity of these myths in like the first three seasons and then the rest of the seasons are just going to be dumb and they hate each other. <laughs> they, they hate each other so much, but they have to make, they making big bucks being together. Mm. So Mythbusters refers to the name of the program and the cast members who test the experiments. So, you know, <laughs> so it is one Mythbuster, two Mythbusters with the, I mean, Oh it, like, no. <laughs> Mythbust die. The series concept was created for the Discovery Channel as Tall Tales or True by Australian writer and producer Peter Rees. Wow. Uh, man, Discovery rejected the proposal initially because the name was really, really bad. No, mm-hmm. because they just had commissioned a series of the same topic. Rees refined the pitch to focus on testing key elements of the stories rather than re- just retelling them. Discovery agreed to develop and co-produce a three-episode series plot. Janie Heineman was one of a number of special effects artists who was asked to prepare a casting video for network consideration. I wish I could find that casting video. That would be amazing. Janie Heineman casting video. Does it exist? It's just a video of his mustache. 
No, there's the untold truth of Janie Hyman from Mythbusters, which I don't think is the thing that I'm looking for. No, I don't. I don't believe that's no. Um, let's see. Uh, Reese has interviewed him previously for a segment on the popular science series Beyond Two Thousand. Um, about the British American robot combat television series Robot Wars. Adam Savage, who had worked with Heinemann in commercials and on the robot combat television series BattleBots, was asked by Heinemann to help co-host the show because, according to Savage, Heinemann thought himself too uninteresting to host the series on his own, and he was right. He was correct. He was right, but they had pretty good chemistry. I thought so. Even though they hated each other. That's very. Did, is that re, like? Did they really hate each they other? They did not like each. Like especially near the end, I guess it was not. Yeah, it was a business. It it turned very much into like a a, a coworker. I got um, it. Yeah. Uh, it thing. happens. Okay, that's too bad. Um, Adam Savage is returning to TV with the show MythBusters Junior, without co-host Jamie Heineman. But with a cast of teenagers, hence the name. <laughs> the show is set to premiere on January 2nd, 2019. All right, you need to update this. Yeah. With rebroadcast every Saturday morning on Discovery. That wonder, could man. be okay. That's basically what that like rab- rabbit hole was. Oh, Mythbusters Jr. <laughs> you watch is in rabbit fact. Hole? Yeah. I don't know what that is. It was a Netflix, I think it was Netflix. And like okay. the other, like the three other Mythbusters that they had later on. So oh, right. the girl, the smarmy one, and the smart one. Yep. Yes. Uh, they yeah, they had their own show, and it was v- like the most basic stuff ever. Okay. One so, was about like superhero powers, and one was like I I'm gonna be able to shoot lightning out of my hands, and like basically they had like a Tesla coil. Yeah. Yes. And like I, I figured that, it out. That was it. <laughs> so <laughs> like, I okay. I googled MythBusters Junior. Mm-hmm. Okay. And it is currently running. Oh. Um there are uh, when you you know how you search for on Google you'll it'll give you like three example videos. Mhm. So here's the titles of the example videos. Oh boy. Um Mythbusters Junior duct tape special trailer. Okay. These are all from the Science <laughs> Channel account by the way. Can you barricade a door with furniture? Mythbusters okay. Junior. And can a laser ignite Adam Savage's farts? Mythbusters Jr. Great. Uh, I'm curious about it. I specifically I'm upset his farts. That I'm curious about it, but yeah, I am curious his farts. about it. I have, I have modified my farts to be laser ignitable. <laughs> we've been here before, right? I'm not crazy. I I know we we've we have least, discussed. Yeah. I I feel like we were maybe on Adam Savage's page. Maybe that was it. Maybe or else they've it. changed it. Um, this is know. yeah. This is very in depth. Yeah. Um so I've got robot combat here I could go to. Robot wars. Mm-hmm. Or just straight up robotics. Yeah, I you got lots of options. I feel like I'm gonna get stuck if I go to robot robotics. Can't wait. Wait. There's a TV show called Curiosity. <gasps> from Savage. I don't think that's gonna get me there. It's not about no. that. No, no. no. <laughs> I can tell you that now. I'm gonna click on robotics, guys. Oh, guys, what? this is uh, yeah. You can you can click robotics, but look, uh, I just have to mention this. 
Uh, as of November 2011, all five Mythbusters have also appeared in new shows, segments, or specials for Discovery's Science Channel, including Head Rush, uh, Flying Anvils, uh, Large Dangerous Rocket Ships, and the, which var- with various years, Curiosity. But there's a throwback here to a very classic WSKB moment. Uh, they were on two different... Yeah, uh, three different specials called Punkin' Chunkin'. Uh, oh, yeah. Uh, Punkin' Chunkin' 2010, 2011, and The Road to Punkin' Chunkin' 2011. <sighs> the Road to Punkin'. I remember that name. The Road to Punkin' Chunkin'. Amazing. I'm, <laughs> I'm very excited about this. Anyway. Okay. Uh, Sky, you clicked on... What, was it robotics? Just robotics. robotics? Yeah. <laughs> okay. All right. Uh, Tim, talk to me about chimpanzees. Chimpanzees, also known as the common chimpanzee, robust chimpanzee, or simply chimp, is a species of great ape with four confirmed subspecies and a fifth proposed subspecies. <laughs> oh, it's like a, it's like an extra sport in the Olympics, yeah, like a, so. the table tennis uh, chimpanzee. Would you like to join the chimp family? Uh, it is listed as an endangered species uh, between 170 and 300,000 individuals uh, are estimated to remain. Uh, the common chimpanzee was named Simia troglodytes mm. by Johann Friedrich Blumenbach in 1776. Cool. Yeah. Oh, oh, here we go. <laughs> Uh, the species name <laughs> troglodytes is a reference to the troglodyt- troglodytae, uh, literally cave goers, and African people described by Greco-Roman geographers. Uh, Great, thank you. Good, th- good, good, good inclusion there, Wikipedia. Wonderful. That's great. Um, I'm going to go down to. Uh, we know, like you know, they use tools. They can laugh. Chimpanzees, gorillas, and orangutans show laughter-like vocalizations in response to physical contact, such as wrestling, play chasing, or tickling. That's cool. This is documented in wild and captive chimpanzees. Who went and tickled a wild chimpanzee? (laughs) I bet you only do that once. (laughs) Common chimpanzee laughter is not readily recognizable to humans as such because it is generated by alternating inhalations and exhalations that sound more like breathing and panting. Oh my gosh. Um, yeah. Yeah, that's what that, yeah. So it's, they just laugh like one of those, like, little, like, the plastic tubes that you, like, whirl around to make that whooshing noise. Uh, Humans and chimpanzees share similar ticklish areas of the body, such as the armpits and belly. The enjoyment of tickling in chimpanzees does not diminish with age. Why is this, why are they saying so much about tickling chimpanzees? someone's into it probably i don't know this is a lot of information about this Um, i'm sorry use in research as of november 2007 about 1300 chimpanzees were housed in 10 u.s laboratories either wild caught or acquired from circuses animal trainers or zoos Hmm. most of the labs either conduct or make the chimps available for invasive research defined as inoculation with an infectious agent surgery or biopsy conducted for the sake of research in zoos Mm. Oh, I'm sorry, and not for Zeus, and not for the sake of the chimpanzee and or drug testing. Okay. I mean, of course. 
two federally funded laboratories use chimps. The Yerkes Yerkes Y E R K E S National Primate Research Center at Emory University in Atlanta, Georgia, and the Southwest National Primate Center in San Antonio. Okay. 500 chimps have been retired from laboratory use in the U.S. and live in animal sanctuaries in the U.S. or Canada. Well, that's something. Yep. Um, With the publication of the chimpanzee genome, plans to increase the use of chimps in labs are reportedly increasing, with some scientists arguing that the federal moratorium on breeding chimps for research should be lifted. Hmm. Hmm. Um, Other researchers argue that chimps are unique animals and either should not be used in research or should be treated differently. Pascal Gagnon, an evolutionary biologist and primate expert at the University of California, San Diego, argues that given chimpanzees' sense of self, tool use, and genetic similarity to human beings, studies using chimps should follow the ethical guidelines used for human subjects unable to give consent. That's a good, that's a really good argument. Mm -hmm. Uh, Also, a recent study suggests chimpanzees, which are retired from labs, exhibit a form of post-traumatic stress disorder. I would not uh, be surprised. Um, jeez. Uh, so they don't mention anything about space research. Although, there is a picture of Ham the Astro Chimp. Ham? Before, yep, before being inserted into the Mercury yeah. Redstone 2 capsule in 1961. Yeah. I mean, do they know what ham, what animal ham comes from? Because it's not that one. We definitely talked about this. I feel like we have to, yes. Mm-hmm. He he looks adorable in his little in in the little uh, car seat though. Mm-hmm. I mean it's it's a space capsule. I know, <laughs> I know, I know, but also it's very cute. So unfortunately, those links are like in the caption. You're you're fine to use those, and uh, I mean unless Sky objects. Uh, I think that's fine. Okay, I'm going to. Ca- I want to. I want to learn more about Ham the Astro Chimp. What was that, Sky? Yeah, that's fine. Okay. Okay. Thank you. Ham the astro astro chimp. <laughs> oh no, we're gonna get more more car seats. Sorry. Uh, let's go to robotics, where there where we are greeted by the image of a robot hand with a gigantic forearm compared to the size of the robot hand, mm-hmm. holding a single light bulb as though to as though to ask the question: How many robots does it take to screw in a light bulb? And I guess it would depend on the programming. Or to be like, hey, I could totally crush this light bulb if I wanted, but I am programmed <laughs> With not to. just these fingers. <laughs> um, it's the interdisciplinary branch of engineering and science that includes ma- mechanical engineering. Elect- oh, no. Yep. It, mm. that, that's not a description of it. Yes. It just says it's, <laughs> it's also a branch of these other things. Robotics deals with the design, <laughs> construction, operation, and use of robots. As well as computer <laughs> systems for their control, sensory feedback, and information processing. It's a tautology. It, robotics is where you use robots, right? The concept, yes. The concept of creating machines that can operate autonomously dates back to classical times. Don't, Sky. <laughs> but research into the functionality and potential uses of robots did not grow substantially until the 21st century. Good, okay. Throughout history, it has been frequently assumed by various scholars, inventors, engineers, and technicians that robots will one day be able to mimic human behavior and manage tasks in a human-like fashion. Today, robots, robotics is a rapidly growing field as technological advances continue, 
semicolon, researching, designing, and building new robots serve various practical purposes, whether domestically, commercially, or militarily. Many robots are built to do jobs that are hazardous to people, such as defusing bombs, finding survivors in unstable ruins, or visiting your in-laws. Mm, man, right, so I wish. I would hire a robot for that. Exploring mines and shipwrecks. Uh, robotics is also used in STEM as a teaching aid. <laughs> robotics is also used in STEM <laughs> as a teaching aid. So now I'm just imagining that little robot, like <laughs> yeah. holding, like it's it's just the little multi-jointed arm, and it's just like trying to gently hold a piece of chalk, and and exactly. it's just like every time it like you it's need just this. trying to find the the plane of the of the chalkboard and. <laughs> okay, and then it ends. That paragraph ends. The advent of nanorobots, microscopic robots that can be injected into the human body, could revolutionize medicine and human health. What? Okay. That's, that's cited, Sky. Yeah, I mean that's cited. It's just so out of nowhere. Like, oh, the name, the name of the article that that's cited to is "Researchers Make a Million Tiny Robots." The mm, literal name go. of the article. Oh my gosh. That article came out a week ago, two weeks ago. I can see he's coming back to this, so I don't want to go into too much of this. But there is a great photo here, and I'm sorry we're so photo-heavy already, of robo-snakes. No, what? No, one has 64 motors, (laughs) and the right one has 10. And you know what? Give me the one with 10. (laughs) Please, please, that one is adorable. I don't want this other one. The one with 64 motors, you can keep. I will take the one with 10. Yes, please. I named him Samuel. He's gonna live. He's gonna live in my basement. Sky. It has eyebrows. No, it has eyebrows. <laughs> this one just has like a a friggin' like circuit board for a head, and it's like, no, I don't want that. I want but the one with eyebrows. Real snakes don't have eyebrows. I can like, be like, hey, not... buddy, do you want are you hungry? And he can like, yep, yes. Oh no, but Sky. You have to feed it. You have to feed it a computer mouse, though. Oh no! <laughs> I just have to raid like old mice. Yeah. Yeah. There's also a great. Them to death. There's also a great robotic fish here called Eye Splash Two. Oh, <laughs> and, <laughs> and I don't know why it looks so funny to me. I mean, it just looks like what if like a five year old was like, "I made a robot." <laughs> <laughs> I mean, that's, yes, that is exactly what it what that would be. Oh, uh, gosh. I, they also I have, have, like, seen... just the face of a furry in here. Oh, of course. Oh, it's this Kiss, fish is so Kismet. cute, though. Kismet the robot, apparently. Yeah. Um, it's bad. <laughs> okay. Uh, um, it can produce a range of f- facial expressions, allowing it to have meaningful social exchanges with humans. Oh, I've uh, seen this. It looks yeah. like a Furby face. That's exactly what I said. I know. However, oh, I thought you said furry. Like, um, did I? Yeah, I meant Furby. Okay. However, I mean, it could. I want to talk to you about the aptly named Tapio, <laughs> a humanoid robot playing ping pong. But oh man, Tapio! It's a me, Tapio. <laughs> Tapio is is buff. He's ready to go. <laughs> <laughs> Like, look at this robot. <laughs> you tell me. Whoa. You tell me that Japan made this robot to play ping pong. I don't think so. 
There's some law that they're going <laughs> I'm sorry, this robot has abs. Not just like and one sunglasses. set, like multiple sets of abs. And just and look at that expression. And obliques even? Like what oh my goodness. His name is Tapio. <laughs> There's definitely <laughs> No There's definitely someone who is into this. All yeah. caps. <laughs> <laughs> it's a bipedal oh. humanoid robot designed to play table tennis against a human being. Sure, sure it is. You you tell yourself that. De- designed to use a paddle against human beings. Yeah, it, that is what it says. Oh, no. Oh, my gosh. Yeah. Uh, I have a anyway. lot of questions. I mean, I wish I had more, honestly. <laughs> I wish <laughs> I wasn't more sure about this. But uh, there's also a picture here. Of two engineers looking extremely like engineers. <laughs> um, two jet propulsion laboratory engineers stand with three vehicles, providing a size comparison of three generations of Mars rovers. Front oh, yeah. center is the flight spare of the first Mars rover, uh, Sojourner, which landed on Mars in 1997 as part of the <laughs> Mars Pathfinder project. On the left is the Mars Exploration Rover, or MER. Uh, it was a test vehicle that is a working sibling to Spirit and Opportunity. Uh, which landed on Mars in 2004. In 2004, on the right is a test rover of the Mars Science Laboratory, which landed Curiosity on Mars in, in 2012. Uh, Curiosity on the right is 9.8 feet long, and I didn't realize <laughs> it was so big. I thought it was more like the size of um, uh, uh, the Mars Exploration Rover, Mir. Did you guys yeah, think I it was they were smaller than that? Like no, that's, I, I, that's pretty huge. It's basically like a car. it's about the size of like a car or like a, a big ATV, guys. It's wild. Yeah. Uh, Curiosity is not linked here. Nope. Um, Neither is Opportunity, which is the one we're going for. Yeah. Is opportunity. It? It's Opportunity. Did I say Curiosity? Yeah. I We're going to Curiosity, aren't we? I guess we? we're just going to start over. Yeah. Wait. No, it's Opportunity. Why are we going to Opportunity? Because that's the one that... Wait, am, am I? Now, You're confusing now I'm, them. Curiosity pretty, yeah. is the latest one. The one that just yes. died. All right. Curiosity is it then. Sorry. Okay. Uh. Yeah. <laughs> it's not okay. linked here. There's so many of them. The guy... Is, um, is Curiosity the one that recently died? Yes. Curiosity is the one that has been in the news. It's the one... I mean, it, it landed on Mars in 2012. Okay. Opportunity was 2004. So we're okay. Mm. Opportunity is the one that died recently. Curiosity is the one that died recently. Opportunity is the one that died recently. Curiosity is the one that died recently. Okay, look. Guys, hang on. I'm going to go to their actual pages. And yeah, it's Opportunity. I thought it was. It's not opportunity. It is opportunity. It's duck season, is what it is. Yeah. No, I just sent you this the page. I just sent you a news. Did you? Okay. I sent you a news from space. You're right. It's opportunity. I was I was getting thrown thrown off. Apparently. Oh my gosh! There's so the curiosity many of... is still up there doing its thing, right? I believe apparently. so. Yeah. Okay. I'm I'm just going over. Okay. Yeah. Curiosity. I went to its page. It's still operational uh, as of 2019. Yeah. 
That's why it was throwing me off because I was like, Curiosity's still going. Yes, it is. Okay. It's, yeah, it's back it's, online. The, the sad part is that I don't go to any sort of source to determine whether Curiosity is alive. I go to his Twitter page. What? Oh, wow. He's still... His last... Or its last um, uh, tweet is from March 15th. What does it say? Um, very lonely. Time to check your work. Here's the answer key to the 2019 blah, blah, blah challenge. Before that, March 14th, mm, Pi. Wishing you all a happy Pi Day from Mars. Join me and my wow. team in the NASA Pi Day Challenge and loads of other fun ways to let your geek flag fly. Aw. So, um, February imagine- 28th. Who's got one arm, a rock-zapping laser, and is back to science operations? This rover. Wow. <laughs> I love Okay, curiosity. so I searched Opportunity... Earlier I sw- like searched Opportunity Rover back online. Yeah. And the first result was Curiosity resumes operations after switching computers. Oh. So that's why I was like, no, I think it's back online. <laughs> right. I see. I see. I blame okay. Google, but I also, I also was just dumb. I mean, we can blame Google for just... So I'm trying to get opportuni- to opportunity. To opportunity, which luckily for all of us, uh, it doesn't particularly matter, In at least this far back. They are generally, they're pretty much treated the same on many of these pages. I guess I'm going to click Jet Propulsion Laboratory. I'm so Ooh, excited. Nice. Let's go to the Jet Propulsion Laboratory. Yeah, let's do it. Uh Tim, you want to talk about ham, but ham. not ham. I, I mean, I always want to talk about ham. Ham? Ham the astro chimp was a chimpanzee and the first hominid launched into space on January 31st, 1961, as part of America's space program. Ham's name is an acronym for the laboratory that prepared him for his historic mission, the Holloman Aerospace Medical Center. Yep. So wow. now we know. Uh, his name was also in honor of the commander of Holloman Aeromedical Laboratory, Lieutenant Colonel Hamilton Ham Blackshear. Less impressive. Ham was born in still. 1957 in French Cameroons, now Cameroon. Captured by animal trappers and sent to Rare Bird Farm in Miami, Florida. That's the name of the farm, Rare Bird Farm. That's what it says. Wow. He was purchased by the Air Force and brought to Holloman Air Force Base in 1959. Oh, goodness. There were originally 40 chimpanzee flight candidates at Holloman. After evaluation, the number of candidates was reduced to 18 and then to 6, including Ham. Officially, Ham was known as number 65 before his flight and only renamed Ham upon successful return to Earth. Because the officials did not want the bad press that would come from the death of a named chimpanzee, which is... Oh, no! They know the rule about naming a pet! That makes sense. Yeah. Um, beginning in July 1959, the two-year-old chimpanzee was trained under the direction of neuroscientist Joseph V. Brady um, to do simple time tasks in response to electric lights and sounds. During his pre-flight training, Ham was taught to push a lever within five seconds of seeing a flashing blue light. Failure to do so resulted in an application of a mild electric shock to the soles right. of his feet, while the right. correct response earned him a banana pellet. Okay. Uh, what differentiates Ham's mission from all the other primate flights to this point is that he was not merely a passenger, and the results from his test flight led directly to the mission Alan Shepard made on May 5th, 1961, aboard Freedom 7. So what do you think they were testing? I mean, my guess is, like, whether you can still function in zero-G. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Oh, okay, good. Um... 
the flight, January 31st, 1961, launched from Cape Canaveral. His vital signs and tasks were monitored by sensors and computers on Earth. The capsule suffered a partial loss of pressure during the flight, but Ham's spacesuit prevented him from suffering any harm. Oh, Ham's okay, lever-pushing performance in space was only a fraction of a second slower than on Earth, demonstrating that tasks could be performed in space. There we go. Splashed down in the Atlantic Ocean, recovered by a rescue ship later that day. Only physical injury was a bruised nose. Um, flight total time was 16 minutes and 39 seconds. I mean, a bruised nose and one of the most terrifying experiences that mm-hmm. could possibly have been sustained by an animal like that. Yeah. Like, there's no way that, that that was not just completely rewriting its, its like understanding of the world. Mm-hmm. Poor buddy. Um, after the flight, he lived for 17 years in the National Zoo before joining a small group of captive chimps at North Carolina Zoo. Um, he died in 1983. Body was oh, turned wow. over to the armed forces uh, for necropsy. Following that, the plan was to have him stuffed and placed on display at the Smithsonian. But mm-hmm. there was a negative public reaction, and they did not do that. Yeah. Good idea. Ham's remains, minus the skeleton, were buried mm-hmm. at the International Space Hall of Fame in Alamogordo, New Mexico. Did they get Colonel... rid of the skeleton because they were going to stuff him? Nope. Keep going, Tom. Um, yeah. Uh, Colonel John Stapp gave the eulogy at the memorial service. The skeleton is held in the collection of the National Museum of Health and Medicine. Oh. Uh-huh. Mm-hmm. Um, oh. So in popular culture, oh a few of these are wild. The 1967 Disney film Monkeys Go Home, in which former space chimps are depicted causing chaos in a rural French village. Um, the 1994 Simpsons episode Deep Space Homer there you go. involved NASA's frustration with lack of public <laughs> attention leading to an ordinary Joe, Homer Simpson, becoming an astronaut. Uh, a NASA officer proposes telling the public the truth that the chimps we sent into space came back super intelligent. Very good. Um, let's see. Wikipedia does love the Simpsons. That is a weird... The I Dream of Genie episode, Fly Me to the Moon, in which Larry Storch played an astro chimp named Sam who was accidentally turned into a human. Oh, boy. Yeah. Oh, wow. Ricky Gervais got on here. Good. Yeah, good. Um, So, uh, oh, man, do I want to go to the International Space Hall of Fame? (laughs) I wonder if Wally's in there, too. That seems pretty good. I'm going to try it. International Space Hall of Fame. Yep. All right. Let's see what's in there. Uh, Sky, let's go to the JPL. Yeah. Jet Meet Propulsion me at the Laboratory. Yeah. Federally funded research and development center and NASA Field Center in La Can- Canada, Flintridge, California. Yeah. Sure. Uh, it's often referred to as residing in Pasadena, though, because it has a Pasadena zip code. It specifically says because it has a Pasadena zip code, and zip code is linked. Yeah. It's founded in the 1930s. Um, It's currently owned by NASA and managed by uh, Caltech. Mm -hmm. Laboratory's primary function is the construction and operation of planetary robotic spacecraft, though it also conducts Earth orbit and and astronomy. Astronomy? Yes. Astronomy is right. Yeah, you got it. Missions. Uh, it is also responsible for operating NASA's Deep Space Network. Ooh, Ooh I wonder what shows you get on that. And yeah. there's the joke. Send tweet. 
Um, among the laboratory's major active projects are the Mars Science Laboratory mission, which includes the Curiosity rover, which is linked <gasps> here. Uh, the Mars Re- Reconnaissance Orbiter, the Juno spacecraft orbiting Jupiter, the New Star X-ray Telescope, the SMAP satellite, SMAP, for each surface soil moisture monitoring, for Earth's, for Earth's <laughs> surface soil mo- monitoring, and the Spitzer, the Spitzer <laughs> Space Telescope. Is also is also responsible for for managing the JPL small body database <laughs> and provides physical data and lists of publications for all known small solar system bodies. <laughs> Just the tiny ones, please. Is the is the tagline for that? Um, Only the smallest. The JPL space flight operations facility and twenty five foot space simulator are designated national historic landmarks. Wait, which is wild. so like. 25 foot like it's a just a space simulator that's only 20 it like is it just simulating 25 feet of space i guess yeah there's just 25 feet of space for you to figure out (laughs) like well this is what space is like it's full of space yeah um you could literally just have nothing in those 25 feet and it'd be like oh yeah this is what space is like hey coming up the lab has an open house at once a year on a saturday and sunday in may or june when the public was invited or was invited Mm-hmm. To tour the facilities and see live demonstrations of the science and technology. Uh, limited private tours are available. Thousands of school children from South California visit every year. <laughs> try to avoid. Um, the open house has been canceled because of budget cuts. Oh, no. Um, yeah. Robotic Roboticist and Mars rover driver... Vandy Verma frequently acts as science communicator at open house type events, encouraging children and particularly girls into STEM careers. Oh, cool. Yeah. Um, Peanuts tradition. There is a tradition at JPL to eat good luck peanuts before critical mission events, Mm -hmm. such as orbital insertions or landings. As the story goes, after the Ranger program had experienced failure after failure during the 1960s, the first successful Ranger mission to impact the moon occurred after a JPL staff member had decided to pass out peanuts to relieve tension. The staff jokingly decided that the peanuts must have been a good luck charm, and the the tradition persisted. That's great. There's a link to peanuts here. I'm very sad it's not good luck peanuts. It's just peanuts. I'm not so, gonna click on those. I appreciate that this is this is one of those traditions that like if we continued this program out a hundred years or so, like after this, like you may forget the reason why initially that it happened and, yeah. and people just start believing, like, oh no, this is just part of the launch sequence. You know, this is what you do. It's just what you do. It's just what you do. Opportunity yeah. is here, it's not linked. Right. So I'm gonna click on yeah, I'm gonna click on robotic spacecraft, I guess. I'm nervous. Okay. Tim's Tim might have it. I, I, I can see say, opportunity being in that Hall of Fame. Me too. Um, all right. So you said, wait. So which did you click? I clicked robotic spacecraft. Robotic spacecraft. Okay. Yeah, that whole section of uh, <laughs> of those names for the different groups. I feel like they they named those things specifically to make make them difficult for you to say. Sky, like th- mm-hmm. that felt like a a personal slight to you. Yes. It was bad. Also, I had a very strong beer that I just finished. <laughs> Good, thank you. I finally got a hold of KBS, which is, is famous in the craft beer world. What what is it? It's it says a highly acclaimed flavored stout. Okay, 
What it's brewed with chocolate and coffee and aged in uh, oak bourbon barrels. Is, I mean, are they all chocolate and coffee? Are all kind of stouts yeah. are basically that. Yeah. I mean, I do like those it's very flavors. Good. So it's very boozy. That, I don't know what the percentage is. It's high. <laughs> it's probably high. No, that's fine. It feels high. <laughs> <laughs> it sounds delicious. Twelve point two percent. So wow, not Whoa. wild, but up there. <laughs> Yeah, I would say that is "quote unquote" up there. <laughs> yeah. All right, Tim. Uh, let's let let Sky enjoy his beer. Mm-hmm. Well, we're going to the New Mexico Museum of Space History, which includes the International Space Hall of Fame. Nice. Uh, it's a museum and planetarium complex in Alamogordo, New Mexico, dedicated to artifacts and displays related to space flight and the space age. Uh, also affiliated with the Smithsonian. The museum includes exhibits about the planets of the solar system, spaceflight, and the primates that were used in early spaceflight experiments. Oh, no. The museum holds mock-ups and training units of many important space artifacts, such as satellites, the space shuttle, and the lunar lander. <laughs> the originals love... are still in space or on the moon. Oh, well, that's, yeah. that's in parens there. That's mm-hmm. very good. Um, see here. <laughs> Because <laughs> I can just imagine someone someone would be like, uh, excuse me, if they're there, how can they be in space? Um, the John P. Checkmate. Stamp, Air and Space Sorry. Park. So remember, that's the guy who gave the eulogy for Ham. Right. Uh, the Air and Space Park is an outdoor exhibit area holding large artifacts, including the Sonic Wind Number 1 rocket sled ridden by Stab. Dang. Ham uh, is buried at the museum in front of the flagpoles. Aw. The Astronaut well, Memorial Garden was created and dedicated to the memory of the astronauts who died in the Challenger explosion. After mm-hmm. the Space Shuttle Columbia disaster, the names of Columbia's astronauts were added to the memorial. Um, there is the International Space Hall of Fame, but it has a see also list of inductees in the International Space Hall of Fame. Yeah, you got you got. Uh, I can't got get there. Out. Right, sorry. Boo. However, yeah. They do have a bit here about the summer camp, which is pretty great. And an annual fireworks extravaganza. Oh, I missed the... Whoa! <laughs> what? Oh my gosh. The museum puts on a large fireworks... That's This is under a citation, so mm-hmm. that's, that's cited. A large fireworks show every July 4th, funded partly by the museum and partly by the city of Alamogordo. It is visible all over the city, still cited, and the museum members get to view it from the museum ground. <laughs> So that w- one of the advantages of being a member. <laughs> so, um, the museum was originally created as the International Space Hall of Fame in 1973. Former Alamogordo Mayor Dwight Olinger was inspired by the National Baseball Hall of Fame and Museum to propose mm. a Space Hall of Fame. Hey guys, I have a suggestion: Baseball Hall of Fame, except space. Yeah. You have to notice that those two words are very similar in sound on that first syllable. And was he just like, did he just like get clipped when he was trying to say the national base? I mean, and then like a light bulb went off in his head. He's like, baseball. This could be, this could be big. Mm-hmm. I don't know what to click on. You got a lot of options, but yeah, I, I agree with you. This is a little tougher than I expected. Space flight, maybe satellites. Uh, Daisy Air Rifle. Yeah, that's in here for some reason. Oh, dang. 
Charles Nolan and Associates were hired as the architects. The main building was designed and constructed as, quote, a golden cube, unquote, a cube with gold tinted glass exterior. Uh, there's no further explanation as to why. Just mm. it's a gold cube. That's what it is. Huh. I guess I'm going to try space flight in general. Yeah, that's, I think that's got. fair. All right, space flight it is. And Sky, you are on robotic spacecraft. Yeah. I mean, you're not, you're not on a robotic I'm spacecraft. I'm not on one right that now. That would be sweet, but... Yeah, and it wouldn't really be a robotic spacecraft because... Well, I guess it would. Yeah. No, because I'm a person. If I was a dog, it would be it would be it could still be considered a robotic. Spacecraft. Oh, I see what you're doing. Yeah, I got yeah. it. Yeah, um, robotic spacecraft is designed to make scientific research measurements, and or, or one that is that is designed to make scientific research measurements. It's often called space probe. Uh, there's also it says that they're under telerobotic control, which I don't know what that means. Um, sure. I do, I do like here that they use the the. Someone on this Wikipedia page was was uh, very uh, very uh, thoughtful in, in using the term. Uh, they say telerobotic rather than crude operation, which is the yeah. word that people prefer over manned, which makes a lot more sense. I prefer crude uh, by far. That's a that's a really good choice. Yep. Many artificial satellites are robotic spacecraft, as are many landers and rovers. Oh. Um. First robotic spacecraft was launched by the Soviet Union. Uh, a suborbital flight carrying uh, two dogs, Desik and Saigon. Four other such flights were made through the fall of 1951. I like how it doesn't name it doesn't name that spacecraft, but it names the two dogs. Which I don't I believe the dogs survived the launch. I don't think they did. Yeah. I'm sure they. Well, didn't. I mean, no, I mean like even getting off the ground. Right. I'm sure gone. Yeah. We were just we were trying to figure this out. It's bad. Yeah, yeah. Then you got Sputnik One, of course, and then mm-hmm. it says that we try to do the things with Explorer One and all that junk. Oh yeah, here we are. And yeah, Sputnik carried the Sputnik Two carried the first living animal into orbit. The uh, dog Laika. That's who. That's who I yeah, was Laika's thinking the first. of. Yeah, I remember Laika. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. Uh, there's a lot here, but like, there's a lot here, but there's not. Like, yeah. there's a lot of sections. Talking about telecommunications, propulsion, mechanical devices involved. So a lot of stuff like that. Uh, opportunity is not listed here. I'm really surprised. Yeah, but I think I think technically opportunity is a space probe. So I'm going to click on space probe. Okay. Rovers are here, but I... Mm, rover is linked. I mean, yeah, rover is literally linked in the top, isn't it? I should go with rover. I'm going with Rover. Okay. Rover space. Okay. Yep. Rover, R- Rover. Let Sky come over. Won't okay. Wiki come uh, over. <laughs> All right. Space flight. Space flight is about taking big hunks of metal and flinging them into space. I mean, when you get down to it, that really is what it is. Sometimes Just, they have humans in them. Sometimes they're cars. Mm-hmm. Oh, jeez. Right. I forgot about that. I mean, generally, a, a shuttle really, if you really get down to it, it's just a very big car, <laughs> if you really think about it. Uh, let's see here. Uh, examples of human spaceflight include the U.S. Apollo moon landing and space shuttle programs, and the Russian Soyuz program, as well as the ongoing International Space Station. Examples of unmanned spaceflight include space probes that leave Earth orbit, as well as satellites in orbit around Earth, such as communication satellites. 
Uh, and Telerobotic gets in here a lot again. Yeah, too. there's a lot of that in there. The space flight typically begins with a rocket launch. <laughs> I would imagine it would begin with a good hearty breakfast. <laughs> <laughs> what else? I mean, <laughs> did you have a good How? night's sleep? I really want to know what else the writer was considering. Like with like what's like the writer said typically, but like whoever was the the writer here was like, ah, I, I put that typically. Uh, it could be there. There was that one time. Mm-hmm. And I'm like, oh, I'll just put the typically. I'll just stick to it. Yeah. Um, let's see here. Oh, Sojourner's on here. A picture. Nice. Which is nice. Uncrewed space flight. Uncrewed space missions use remote-controlled spacecraft. First one was mm-hmm. Sputnik, which we already mentioned. Yeah, you guys are running very yeah, parallel neck now. and neck here. Yeah, we're right there. It's true. Uh-huh. Uh, let's see here. Um, first human space flight was Vostok 1 on April 12th, 1961, on which cosmonaut Yuri Gagarin, Gagarin, sorry, of the USSR, made one orbit around the Earth, uh, forgot the milk when he came home. The the next sentence, go on. In official Soviet documents, there is no mention of the fact that Gagarin parachuted the final seven miles. (laughs) What? (laughs) Wait, What? So I want it. I, it's it's that is cited. I wonder if it's like no, it landed perfectly. There were no there were no problems. Like that's amazing. Let's see here, um, Interstellar. Five spacecraft are currently leaving the solar system on escape trajectories: Voyager One, Voyager Two, Pioneer Ten, Pioneer Eleven, and New Horizons. The one farthest from the sun is Voyager One which is more than 100 astronomical units distant and is moving at 3.6 astronomical units per year. In comparison, Proxima Centauri, the closest star other than the sun, is 267,000 AU distant. Wow. It will take Voyager 1 over 74,000 years to reach this distance. Mm. I, I, like, I just can't, it's, you you can't even wrap your brain about, around that. Like, it's Mm -hmm. just, Unfathomable. Intergalactic travel involves spaceflight between galaxies and is considered much more technologically demanding than even interstellar travel. And by current engineering terms, is considered science fiction. I mean, it's still a thing. That's not. Yeah. It doesn't make it fictional. Let's see here. Mm-mm-mm. Space disasters. Right. Um. All launch vehicles contain a huge amount of energy that is needed for some part of it to reach orbit. There is therefore some risk that this energy can be released prematurely and suddenly with significant effects. Wow. When a Delta II rocket exploded 13 seconds after launch on January 17, 1997, there were reports of store windows 10 miles away being broken by the blast. Wow. boy. Space is a fairly predictable environment. Yeah, it's. But there are still risks of accidental depressurization and the potential failure of equipment. Yeah. Um, Space weather (laughs) is the concept of changing environmental conditions in outer space. It is distinct from the concept of weather within a planetary atmosphere and deals with phenomena involving ambient plasma, magnetic fields, radiation, and other matter in space, 
generally close to Earth, but also in interplanetary and occasionally interstellar medium. Amazing. Space weather describes the condition in space that affect Earth and its technological systems. Our space weather is a consequence of the behavior of the sun, the nature of Earth's (laughs) magnetic field, and our location in the solar system. Well, yeah. I feel, I mean, mm, that that's such a, again, such just a big thing to say and just be like, you know, space weather. Um, there is a, of uh, an image here of a, of a solar flare essentially coming off of the, off of the sun, uh, with an, an ultraviolet blue ultraviolet view of the sun, which is terrifying, just horrific and it's in 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 just the concept of it is just a Mm -hmm. giant burning ball of gas and this huge flare and then there's a just this tiny pinprick just maybe a little pinprick that says with an arrow pointing to it that says size of earth Mm -hmm. that it's not even not even a like a tenth not even a tenth of the size of this um flare in height or anything like oh Sorry. It's vast, is what I would say. Big. Uh, it's very big. Applications, current and proposed applications for spaceflight include Earth observation studies, space exploration, communication satellites, satellite television, satellite navigation, space tourism, protecting Earth from oh, potentially no. hazardous objects, and space colonization. I think Great. I'm going to try clicking on space exploration. Yeah, I think that's reasonable. Yeah. Let's see what we got. Yeah. Figure out more ways for us to discover that that space chunk. Just the huge chunk of space. Chunk. Yeah, space chunk. All right. Gotta crunch that space chunk. (laughs) (laughs) Sky, talk talk to us about rovers. A rover, or sometimes planetary rover, is a space exploration vehicle designed to move across the surface of a planet or other celestial body. Some rovers have been designed to transfer members of a human space flight space crew. <laughs> space flight crew. Others have been partially or fully autonomous robots. Rovers usually arrive at the planetary surface on a lander-style spacecraft. Rovers are created to land on another planet besides Earth <laughs> to find out information and to take samples. Well, they can I collect mean, tech- dust rocks and even take pictures they're very <laughs> useful for exploring exploring the universe okay. hang on a second so if we had to list the like do you do we think that collecting dust and rocks is uh, is a an order easier than taking pictures like and even take pictures and even take pictures like that's like i can believe that it collects dust and rocks but uh, i don't know about this Taking pictures business. That, ah, you're kidding me, right? Yeah. So I just want to point out again that rover, it says here rovers are created to land on another planet besides Earth to find out information to take or to take samples. Again, I mean, there's nothing about Earth that would make these rovers unable to land on Earth. Like you could fly, you could, it'd be a huge waste of money, but you could technically like fly this rover out into space and then bring it right back. Good. Mm. I'm just saying. It's this true. this this article needs to be clarified. Is all I'm saying. Yeah. Are you ready to talk about non-wheeled approaches? Yes, I. I Other I've rovers been dying that to do not use them. wheeled approaches are possible. 
<laughs> mechanisms that utilize walking on robotic legs, hopping, rolling, etc., etc., are, po- <laughs> are possible. For example, Stanford University researchers have, pro- have proposed Hedgehog, a small cube-shaped <gasps> rover that can oh. control controllably hop or even spin out a sandy sinkhole by corkscrewing upward to escape for surface exploration of low-gravity celestial bodies. Amazing. What a good, what a good call. Yeah. Oh. Um, yeah, their advantages over orbiting spacecraft is that they can make observations to a microscopic level and can conduct physical experimentation. No, no wonder. <laughs> what do you think the disadvantages are? <laughs> Just think well, about what are the disadvantages. <laughs> I mean, I, I mean, they, there's two big ones. They're real close to that planet, and if anything bad happens on that planet, like I don't know, yeah. a sandstorm. <laughs> There's that too. Yeah. Um. Yep. Also, Where's just the landing orbiting? is scary. Very scary yeah. for a rover. <laughs> mm-hmm. <laughs> and it can only look around a small area because it's so yeah. It's so tiny. Yeah, they're so tiny. Um, Whereas that that orbiting rover is like watching that sandstorm from a distance and be like, dang. Yeah, I'm glad I'm not down there. <laughs> Sorry, guys. I'm surprised that they don't. Maybe they have done this. And I just don't know it. Like, have a orbiting, like satellite. Oh rover, yeah, like, do a, like, like a, and also yeah. well, one they have one on the ground so that like it can like transmit stuff better. Or they as, like, probably. A relay. They've probably done something like that. Maybe I don't or know. Or there's a reason not to. I, there's I probably know. yeah. I was gonna say the three of us talking here about this. Like, there's probably lots of reasons that any of our listeners are being like, "Are you kidding me?" Yeah, hmm. it talks about opportunity here, and it's linked finally. Oh dang! So Woo! I'm gonna click on opportunity. You're gonna take this opportunity. When you see opportunity, you click it. Very good. I'm glad we all we did all the rounds there. Oh, very nice. Uh, Tim, do you want to talk about space exploration? I mean, I feel we've, we've discussed this a pretty good amount so far. I did, I did not know we were going to be circling this this long. I'm sorry, you guys. It's been a long orbit. Mm-hmm. Um, um, just a couple things about Mars, since that's, what, okay. that's what's been getting explored here. Uh, exploration of Mars has been an important part of the space exploration programs of the Soviet Union, later Russia, the United States, Europe, <laughs> Japan, and India. Dozens of robotic spacecraft, including orbiters, landers, and rovers, have been launched toward Mars since the 1960s. Mm. These missions were aimed at gathering data about current conditions and answering questions about the history of Mars. The questions <laughs> raised by the scientific community are expected to not only give a better appreciation of the red planet, but also yield further insight into the past and possible future of Earth. Um, oh, geez. Exploration oh, geez. has come at a considerable financial cost, with roughly two-thirds of all spacecraft destined for Mars failing before completing their missions, with some failing before they even began. Such a high failure rate can be attributed to the complexity and large number of variables involved in an interplanetary journey, and has led researchers to jokingly speak of the Great Galactic Ghoul. Mm. which subsists on a diet of Mars probes. <laughs> this phenomenon is <laughs> also cute. informally known as the Mars curse. Um, Let's see. That, that's cited. Oh, my goodness. India has become the first country to achieve the success of its maiden attempt. India's Mars Orbiter Mission, or MOM, oh, it's made an attempt. is that's one funny. of the least expensive interplanetary missions ever undertaken with an approximate total cost 
of about 73 million U.S. dollars. Dang. Yeah. Uh, that's all I wanted to say, Mom. Oh, yeah, that's good. I like that. Also, the Great Galactical was definitely one of the first villains on the Scooby-Doo thing, right? That's what that yeah, was. Yeah, definitely. Anyway, Sky. <laughs> it's opportunity. It's not the opportunity. Curiosity. Yes. Nicknamed Oppie. <laughs> Oppie. Yeah. He was active on Mars from 2004 to late 2018. That's amazing. Yeah. He was launched on July 7, 2003. And uh, they had a, he had a twin. Aw. Named Spirit. Mm-hmm. You ask. Yep. You ask if they like Mars. They both say yes. Same time. They both say yes. <laughs> Spirit functioned until it got stuck in 2009 and ceased oh, communications no. in 2010. While Opportunity was able to stay functional for 5,101 souls after launching, maintaining its power and key systems through continual recharging of its batteries using solar power, and hibernating during events such as dust storms to save power. Amazing. This careful operation allowed you uh, opportunity to exceed its operation plan by 14 years, 46 days in Earth time. 55 times its, des- its design lifespan. Uh, by June 10th, 2018, when it last contacted NASA, the rover had traveled a distance of 45.6 or 16 kilometers, which is like 28 so, like, miles. So think of that. Like, yeah, it's, All that's those years. Less, yeah. less than 30 miles. That's wild. And it, it, I mean, I'm sure it categorized as much of it could, as much as it could during the, that, that span, but like, holy cow, what, oh, wow. Like, it just feels so, uh, I, I don't want to say spiritual, but it's definitely like a meditative, like there's a meditative quality to it. Uh, even though it is this tiny robot that's on another planet, like, I don't know. Mm-hmm. It feels this feels easy to personalize. I'm sorry, or yeah. personify is what I mean to say. Mm-hmm. Um. Uh, anyway, let's uh, see what the, else do we want to talk about here? Uh, yeah, uh, it says that it um, that during or due to the planetary 2018 dust storm on Mars, Opportunity ceased communications on June 10th and entered hibernation uh, June 12th, 2018. I do remember when that happened. Uh, people were like, "Oh, you know." Maybe once the once the weather clears, yeah. it'll be fine. Uh, but it did not, uh, suggesting either a ca- catastrophic failure or that a layer of dust had covered its solar panels. Um, and then they were hoping that again that if the wind could, if it was dust, some wind could could clean it off. Uh, but that did not happen. And on February thirteenth, NASA officials uh, declared that uh, the opportunity was complete or the mission opportunity was complete uh, after the spacecraft had failed to respond to over 1,000 signals sent since August 2018. That's pretty, so uh, something. It's pretty, uh, pretty needy there. <laughs> oh, no. On, yeah. On March 24th, 2015. Hey, hey you up? <laughs> <laughs> on March 24th, 2015, NASA celebrated opportunity having traveled the distance of a marathon race. Uh, 26.219 miles from the start of Opportunity's landing and traveling to Mars. Aw. I'm sorry. I am having a hard time with this. I did not, like, I know it's a robot, but... Ah. Yeah, it went very Um, far. Oh, they show it. There's a map here, even, to show where it would have run. 
Um, cool. And it kind of followed along the edge of a of a crater. It looks like that's pretty cool. Yeah, it's apparently the spirit of Saint Louis crater. Hmm. Yeah. It just kind of uh, makes it sound like Lindbergh crashed on Mars. I mean, we don't have any proof that in he its didn't. center is Lindbergh Mound. Why? <gasps> why are they? Why? Weird. His burial Maybe. mound conspiracy. There's also something well, named the Marathon Monument, which I hope is like. It looks like a little rock. I hope that's like a oh we we just did a marathon and there's a, here's a rock so like let's name it yeah. this yeah yes that's very good that would be good um yeah but we don't maybe maybe Lindbergh himself took that opportunity we don't know what uh you know because the monument I'm sorry this was it was a it, it, oh it, it was a it was a long running it was a joke because of the Lindbergh uh Lindbergh mound. Lindbergh Mound? Is yeah, Lindbergh Mound. Yes, sorry. Oh, you think like maybe th- that is a very like rocky, like a, just like a bunch of rocks, maybe one like just crushed it or something. <laughs> yeah, that's what Bonked I'll go with. <laughs> oh, no. But yeah, that's about it, I think. What a cool little robot. Yeah, one of the only things that I do want to, one, the one of the things I want to mention here, when I when I was doing this run or, or testing this earlier, um. I I always check the you know what links here uh, to see what else what else comes to this page just to see like oh are there enough things that connect here, um, and one of the ones one of the things that that connected here it, they mentioned here at the bottom, as NASA ended their attempts to contact the rover the last data sent was the song, I'll be seeing you performed by Billie Holiday, and wow. that is one of the links that that brings you to this page. Ugh. Anyway, if you like that, you can always uh, follow some links over to our page uh, at wskbcast.blogspot.com. Uh, you can check us out on any of the uh, places that you can download other fine podcasts. Uh, uh, iTunes or Apple Podcasts, sorry, Google Play, Stitcher, all the, all the biggest hits. Uh, if you do go to any of those places, uh, you know, please uh, leave, us a, leave us a review. That would be pretty cool of you. Uh, you can also contact us on Facebook by searching for We Should Know Better, or you can find us on Twitter at uh, WSKBcast. Oh, uh, either way, it, 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 we, we traveled such a long way in this, in this episode. That's oh, true. I'm, uh, yeah. I'm going to pandiculate. Uh, pandiculate over here. Uh, it's getting dark. Uh, My battery's getting low. Oh, no. I did it backwards. <laughs> <laughs> oh no oh well guys okay i guess uh i guess uh um i'll be, i'll be seeing you guys have a good night good night night <laughs> see a space chimp cowboy oh because i can't fancy here so i'm gonna wait Okay. Otherwise, there'll be noise behind me. Oh, boy. Oh, no, Rush, Candace, you're fine. I'll just cut this out. Yep, we're fine. <laughs> what you looking for? Hot glue gun. Hot glue gun. It's very important. Did I tell you guys uh, one of... Wait. Maybe one of you guys didn't tell... I, I, I don't know if one of you guys told me about this or not. Someone... Uh, figured out a way to build a hot glue gun while y- using a hot glue gun, like just hot gluing things together to build a hot glue gun. Oh, nice. That's funny. 
Um, it was incredibly dangerous, but they did it. Wow. Who was telling me about that? Someone. Maybe someone hmm. in the TC chat. That actually would make a lot of sense. Yes. Yeah, that sounds like a TC chat thing. <laughs> that does sound like some. Yes. But yeah, uh, it's one of those things that they're just like, oh, you know what I could do? I, I have one hot glue gun and I need a second one. So what I'll do is I'll just glue this heating element to this thing that has a feeder for, for this these glue sticks and kind of jerry-rig a trigger and ta-da! Yeah. Incredibly dangerous glue gun. <laughs> there it is. How was your weekend, Tim? It was good. Yeah. That stuff done. Did yeah. things well. All right, she's um, gone. <laughs> Hello. Or goodbye, I mean. <laughs> yeah. The other one, you know. <laughs>